while 51% of the vote passes the constitutional threshold of a majority, it clearly is not adequate support to continue on as leader. And that is why tonight I have informed the president of the party of my intention to step down as leader of the United Conservative Party. I'm sorry, but friends, I truly believe that we need to move forward united. We need to put the past behind us. And our members, a large number of our members, have asked for an opportunity to clear the air through a leadership election. Jason Kenney, Alberta's Premier, head of the United Conservative Party, announcing shortly after a leadership review gave him just 51.4% support percent support from his own party. Membership of his own party, about 34,000 uh, mail-in ballots cast there, announcing that his intention to resign um, as both Premier and leader of the party, even though he'd said at one point that he might try to stay on if the if the vote was was close. Maybe not that close. Uh, Tristan Hopper joins me now. He's a columnist and reporter with the National Post. Welcome to the show. Thanks again for your time. No, thanks for having me. Never a dull moment in Alberta politics. I mean, I, I was watching that live stream tonight and, and you thought, okay, well, he's got his 51.4%. He said he's going to stay. And uh, he started his speech quite optimistically. The room was all on side. He's going to stay. And then all of a sudden, he's not. Uh, <laughs> do you think he made the right choice there? Oh, I don't think I'm the only person to sense a note of, you know, cheeriness uh, in his decision to depart. Remember after the Brexit vote uh, went the way that uh, UK Prime Minister David Cameron didn't want, and then he resigned the next day. And then there was that uh, hot mic that caught him. As he was walking away from the podium, he was humming, like, do-do-do-do-do-do. He was, like, ecstatic that he didn't have to be Prime Minister anymore. Um, so I think there's a huge element of that. Uh, Kenny's been getting it from both sides. I mean, just members of his caucus openly just criticizing him, running in by-elections, you know, calling him awful things uh, for months and months and months and months. Um, mostly, he's been getting us on the right saying he's doing too much on COVID. So, um, I mean, really, he, he treated COVID with the lightest touch of anyone in Canada. Um, and then still, it wasn't enough for, you know, um, an ideological pure core of his party. So I think at the end of the day, he's just thinking, Ah, screw this. Uh, I'm going to go do something else. I'm tired of being premier. Uh, good luck. Bye, everyone. And yet, uh, and I, I, your daughter is always, uh, young Hopper is always welcome here, too. It's always great to hear she's in, in good. Oh, oh. oh, I really thought oh, no. she was asleep this time. But uh, yeah, no, no dice. We like we, we always enjoy having her on too, but she's uh, she's she seems upset too about uh, about what's happening, or maybe she's watching the hockey game. Yeah, I would hope. Yeah, you, you know, in her inability to sleep, I would hope she would treat it with the same gravitas as uh, as, as Kenny and you know Grace, really, because uh, that's the thing. He's looking at like, well, I can stay on a fifty-one percent and then be just, you know uh, jerked around for okay. another you know fifteen months or something. But anyway. I can give you a moment here, Tristan. I can, I, if if you want to see to see to your daughters. Oh no, no! I think I got second. it. I think I got you it. Got I it? fixed it. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I could okay. easily share some other uh, tweets that were sent oh. out today. Scott Moe, thank you to my friend no, Premier Kenny for everything. People love the sounds of crying babies. This is excellent radio. Um, <laughs> exactly. But uh, no, I, always... I mean, I, on the one hand, it is interesting to see uh, because I mean, Alberta not too long ago had this reputation for just electing governments and keeping them in for just hideously long amounts of time. You had the yeah. Socrates in for basically a generation and then the progressive conservatives in for a generation. So to go from that to, oh, we can't even handle a premier for like one term. Um, this is something has happened. Um, what my guess is, I was thinking about this while I'm walking around. 
And um, after after the World Wars, <clears throat> you had a bunch of like politics got really shaken up in Canada and the United States. Like you'd have a bunch of people come back from the first world war. And then the Winnipeg general strikes happens. Cause you just have a bunch of young men who are like, I don't need to take this. I got shot at on the Western front. So I think right. you basically had conservatives in Ottawa for nine years and then no, they're no longer in power. So they're like, Oh, that's all good. You know what? I'm going to go back to Alberta and, you know, screw things up uh, for a while. So I think there's just, um, a, a, a lot more restless people than there used to be um, in the Canadian conservative movement. Because Kenny is not the first one. Um, I mean, you had Aaron O'Toole kind of, you know, yep. shunted out the door. You've had it, oh, one of those other provinces. Uh, but he's not the first conservative leader to just have a bunch of members say, nah, he's not conservative enough. Screw you. Let's get another one. A better one. Um, yes. Even if that doesn't make any electoral sense. It, well, that, that therein lies a bit of the issue. I, I, get, I mean, I've been asking all night what the problem may have been, and part of it seems to those who are watching it really closely in in Edmonton. Um, part of it, of course, was was this sort of top down approach that he brought with him and brought Ottawa staffers with him that may have ruffled some feathers uh, when he got to Alberta. You know, you, you can't go home is 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 sometimes said, and in politics, it's tough to import styles. Uh, perhaps it worked really well in in Ottawa, but would have run into trouble uh, in Alberta right now. When you're right, people are, people are restless. People want to want to see what they want to see from their governments. Yeah. So yeah, in the national post, um, uh, Carson Jerma uh, was pointing out after this and he said, uh, you know, if, if you're just a conservative, uh, uh, Jason getting governed very conservatively, um, which you can argue in Ontario, Doug Ford did not. Uh, I mean, he's technically a conservative, but there's a lot of things he does that aren't technically conservative by the book. Um, Jason Kenney wasn't one of those. Um, I mean, everything from curriculum to lower taxes to balanced budget, uh, that's how he governed Alberta. So um, he was making the argument, it's like, if you can look at that, and that's not enough, you still wanted him to do one less lockdown, and now he's got to go, you know, maybe you're making perfect the enemy of the good. (laughs) I get. I mean, do you get the sense that it was personal in some ways? That he just he. Oh, it's always wasn't personal. about his policy. Yeah, it's the same it, it thing was... when there was the split. Um, remember when there was the split between the Wild Rose and the Progressive Conservatives? I mean, ideologically, right. the parties were. I mean, their voting record in the uh, Alberta legislature was basically the same, but it was just yeah, it was straight up personal. It was just like you know, my neighbor went Wild Rose, and you know, he didn't bring a pie to the you know the church fundraiser, and screw him. I hate Wild Rose. <laughs> Uh, and vice versa. So I think, yeah, I think we underestimate. We think there's some logical reason for all of this. A lot of it is just, I met Jason Kenney at some, you know, events, reform party event in the mid nineties and he rubbed me the wrong way and I hate him. <laughs> what now? I mean, you have an election coming up in a year. You have a leadership race that's going to go on in parallel with a conservative, with a national party leadership race. Yeah, a lot of conservative um, leadership races. There are quite a few these days. Um, what now for for the for the United Conservative Party and a pretty popular, at least it seems, according to the polls, pretty popular NDP waiting to fight. Oh yeah, I I, I don't think uh, it's a particularly original thought for me to say. If you're Rachel Notley, this is excellent news. You always want uh, you know the government party to be thrown into because it's it's going to be like the federal leadership race. It's not going to be you know just they get some other guy and he steps up similar to what you had with Scott Moe in Saskatchewan. Uh, this is going to be, everybody comes out of the woodwork. They all run at once. You know, they're all character attacks and blah, 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 blah. And then that whole war ends just in time 
for an election they may not be poised to win. Because, I mean, you are getting polls uh, lately that are showing the NDP in the lead. So it's weird. Alberta might be just a normal province in which there's two parties that govern it and kind of switch back every once in a while. Except, of course, it seems that within the conservative movement, at least that, uh, and this is uh, one of my earlier guests said that you know the conservative par- par- party tends to tends to turn on its own here. I mean, this was this was done from inside the castle, so to speak. It was, uh, I mean, from an outsider's point of view, it seemed self destructive, uh, to say the very least. Uh, yeah, yeah. I guess I guess you could argue uh, that. that and uh, no, no, no. I th- I think you could uh, because yeah, if you're just looking at, at it from a straight. Um, policy uh, standpoints. Uh, yeah, he was governing pretty conservatively. Uh, he's, you know, pretty well placed to win a general election, all things considered. Um, so, yeah, I think this is one of those things that may make a tremendous amount of emotional sense, but not a lot of rational sense. Like a lot of divorces. Those are popular under COVID. Um, <laughs> it's like, you know, economically, you should probably just make up with your spouse. Yeah, but it feels really good to get a divorce and I may regret it later. Uh, we we can move on from the Jason Kenny stuff in, in a minute, but one of the things I was curious about too is just the business of Alberta. You know, inflation is high. There's there's a war going on in Ukraine. Uh, certainly, Jason Kenny found some wind in his also, sails. Also, Prince recently. Charles is in the country. And Prince Charles we is in the country. Calm we can't down when the royals that. are here. Yes, of course. We yes, absolutely. I saw they were in Ottawa this evening. Um, what happens to the business of Alberta right now if the the governing party is in the middle of this leadership? fight. Uh, the premier is stepping down. Uh, who's going to, I mean, this seems like a, a difficult time to sort of step away from championing Alberta. What ha- what do you think happens there? Oh, I think they'll just continue to pump immense amounts of oil and make all of the money in the world. Uh, you know, we are in an oil boom. So yeah, whoever gets to run Alberta will be serving the luckiest province uh, in Confederation by far. I mean, that's the thing. No one, no other province is even close to getting a balanced budget. And then Alberta, under Jason Kenney, was able to say, oh, yeah, we can absolutely balance the budget because uh, a truck just backed up with oil windfalls uh, thanks to historically high oil prices. So thanks. Um, but, yeah, we, we're talking about ideological purity. Um there, this was something I brought up uh, when Rachel Notley got voted out because um, she was, uh, from an environmentalist standpoint, like you have an, a, a premier of Alberta who actually says, okay, climate change is a thing. We're going to bring in a carbon tax. Uh, we're going to do all these things. Uh, in exchange, I get to build one pipeline. Can I do that? And then everybody said, screw off. No, you can't build the pipeline. And then, you know, for because she wasn't able to do that and she was seen as sort of kowtowing for the environmentalist and getting nothing in return, she lost the election. So, uh, yeah, my argument to environmentalists at the time was like, well, because you didn't compromise, now you're going to get Jason Kenney and he's going to reopen coal plants. He doesn't care. So I would argue the same to conservatives. So, yeah, you didn't have the most ideological. You had a guy who wasn't conservative all of the time because sometimes he had to do something practical. Um, But if you get rid of him, it's not like you're going to get this, you know, textbook fantasy conservative that's somehow going to run uh, Alberta in a realm devoid of practicality. So, yeah, I I think uh, there's any number of reasons this may be a decision they'll regret in a few months. 
I get to quote Joni Mitchell while talking about uh, Jason Kenney and say, you don't know what you got until it's gone. But <laughs> I, w- I won't do that again uh, in your presence, at least. Uh, after this, we'll talk a bit more about, uh, there's an interesting story going on here in BC. In our, we're both, Tristan and I are in Victoria, about a museum decision. And I thought you've been, you've been tweeting some interesting stuff about it, about uh, a replacement for the Royal BC Museum out here in Victoria. I thought it'd be a good subject to tackle when we come back. Uh, stick around. I'm speaking with Tristan Hopper, columnist and reporter with the National Post. We've been talking about Jason Kenney's resignation tonight. Of course, that's the big story for those who aren't watching the hockey game, which I imagine many people are tonight. Speaking of battles of Alberta, uh, moving back to BC now, and and an interesting because you've been talking about it, and we're both in Victoria. Uh, the provincial government here announced uh, late last week, quite suddenly, a $789 million a replacement for the Royal British Columbia Museum, which which sounded all nice and shiny when it was first announced. And then people start to think, wait a second, that's an awful lot of money, plus um, eight years to build it. Uh, what, have, what have you, you must have been getting a lot of reaction to that as well, because you've, you've been talking about it as well, Tristan. What was your, what struck you about that announcement? I spent a lot of time uh, thinking about museums and writing about museums. And yeah, what immediately struck me is like, yeah, yeah, you hear the figure and you're like, yeah, yeah, a billion dollars. That sounds like something a government would spend on. And then I was thinking, wait a minute, that's an unbelievable amount of money uh, for what is essentially a regional museum. Then I started looking up, I was doing most of today, uh, just looking up, what did some other giant museums cost? So the Canadian Human Rights Museum in Winnipeg, which is like the poster child for just government boondoggle, uh, this is, it was supposed to be like $60 million and then cost overruns, cost overruns. Um, and then it opened and it was like, oh, you know, totally expensive, insane, $351 million. So, you know, less than half of $789 million. And that's after all the costs overrun. So, again, this is an initial figure. This is just the provincial grant of 789 So you have the RBCM saying, oh, we're going to find extra money. So this could be a facility that's like over a billion dollars, which for a regional museum, it's a very good region. Well, it was a very good regional museum. Um, it's a very good one, but it is still a regional museum. Um, they just rebuilt the Royal Alberta Museum over in Alberta. That was about uh, $379 million, and that was seen as an incredibly high amount. So uh, by any measure, if you look at comparable museums, very good museums with 40 theaters and you know award-winning architecture and large exhibition halls, um, they don't get anywhere close to this. So it's weird that the government just says, yeah, $789 million, and makes no attempt to explain why are you building the most expensive museum in history? <laughs> uh, one of the, I mean, the NDP here over the last, uh, you know, over their years in power have been pretty good at not making these kinds of mistakes. Uh, where do you oh, think yeah, this one went? Yeah, that's why they want a majority. They, uh, yeah. they, they, I mean, this is, they're like, no, 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 building stupid fast ferries is kind of a Glenn Clark thing. We just kind of run the book. Yeah. So this is, they're fast ferries. Could it be. Is. Uh, it could be. I mean, I, I just, all the language around it too, it just seems like they're getting it from the Greens here. They're getting it from the BC Liberals, of course. They're getting it from from every which way about, you know, I guess there, there, there really isn't much detail to it too. So they release sort of a, a huge dollar figure, a very long timeline. I mean, eight years is, is and, yeah. and, you know, we, we all know that'll never, eight years is, opt, is, is optimistic, right? Um, it, it just, I, you wonder what they were thinking. Um, yeah, there's a lot of th- things about this that is so baffling because they keep saying, well, we want an open, transparent process in which we're going to consult with British Columbians, um, and consult, consult, consult. We're going to talk to everybody. This is going to be a museum for everyone. Uh, okay, well, I would believe that if 
the months leading up to this hadn't been the most strangely non-transparent and, you know, unilateral government process I've ever seen. So you had, uh, I mean, the, mar- the museum is already partially closed. They closed all the human history galleries um, in, in order to decolonize them. Um, and then when they announced that, uh, you know, it's not like there was any consultation about that. It's just like, you know, we're, we're dismantling all the galleries, you know, in two weeks for you. And even at the time, you had a lot of indigenous leaders saying, uh, yeah, I didn't ask them to do that. I kind of like the museum. So they keep saying we have to do it because uh, in consultations with indigenous leaders, that's what they told us to do. If you read that report, indigenous leaders say, oh, yeah, um, fix this, fix this, fix this, redo the indigenous gallery, and we're happy. So it's kind of disingenuous to say, oh, yeah, we have to do this giant billion-dollar boondoggle that's going to be closed for eight years uh, because the First Nations told us to do it. Um, that's not what they told them to do at all. Do you see the – before this all goes – so my prediction was uh, – yeah, twenty. It'll be you know overly political, very expensive, and deeply unpopular. Right up to the time that it opens its door, its doors in twenty thirty six. That was my that was my prediction. Do you think that's it, far? It's off? one thing if this was like from scratch. So at least the Canadian Human Rights Museum, there's nothing there. But this is yeah. a beloved local museum uh, that is getting blown up and then replaced with this. So it might be even worse than just spending. If it's a bad museum, you've blown a billion dollars and you also blew up something that everybody loves. <laughs> we're we're angering young young Miss Ms. Hopper again. I gather with our with our talk, uh, Tristan Hopper. Thank you so much as always. Uh, appreciate your time. My best to your daughter. Hope she feels better. Oh yes, yeah. I think she's teething again. There's so many damn teeth in there. Um, but thanks a lot. Parenting as always. Thanks, Tristan. Have a great night. All right.